0: Welcome back to the docu-podcast, Shadow of a Mercenary. I'm your host, Kevin E. West, and it's time to get on board and journey into the unique life of Verlin Seifkees, a Kansas crop duster who simply enjoyed painting his daughter's toenails on their porch. But hell, it's easy to be betrayed when no one knows you exist. (laughs) My goodness, man, I would say you have gotten yourself into quite a pending death pickle. But, before we get too deep into your kidnapping, let's quickly reset some backstory about this Jose cat that they stuck on the plane because the audience needs to be crystal clear.
1: Jose was one of the guys that w- took back to Columbia from Miami. When I flew back, before I, when I got kidnapped, he was on the plane. And we took him back with us. and. He reported that we treated him fair, that we weren't hooked up with the federal government. Why was he on the plane coming over? What was he? Well, he was spying on me so they could steal the aircraft. And that's what his... He wasn't the one that flew it, but he was spying on it. Right. He was a fugitive. And he got... We hauled his ass back. Actually, I don't know why he came along in the first place. Because he was a fugitive, and they threw him in the airplane with us when we took off from Columbia, and he was the one hanging over the back of the seats looking at the dash and what was going on, and he's right. the one that spoke English. That Stockwell said, yeah, he doesn't speak English, and I said, yeah, he speaks English. So he was with us on that trip where they lost the load that was actually stolen by uh, Raphael's nephew.
0: Right, but there were other guys they tossed on the plane, too.
2: And we had taken three fugitives from the Bahamas along with us. And one of them was going to fly the plane back. Initially, we were supposed to spend the night. I told Roberto, you can't go now. You're going to be the lone aircraft flying over the islands at night. And you would be easy to pick up on radar. All these flights from the islands come into Miami and Fort Lauderdale and wherever at night. I mean, in the evening before sunset. At night, you have to be on the instrument flight plan. So the air traffic, from maybe being 100 aircraft in the air, goes to 20 aircraft in the air. So it's easy for the federal government and the radar to pick up suspicious aircraft that are coming in. So I told Roberto, you need to wait till in the morning, but all the flights were coming out again, and we're mixed in with all the other aircraft. Well... That went in one ear out of the other, so we're sitting there with a gun in our head, and they accused us of stealing the previous load, which we found out later, it was his nephew that stole the damn stuff, and we got blamed for it. But anyway, we're sitting there in the dirt, and the plane won't start. The Cuban that had come along with us to fly the airplane back and steal it, couldn't start it because I had a secret kill switch on it. And Stockwell says, well, start the damn airplane, they're gonna shoot us. I said, they're gonna fucking shoot us anyway. I ain't starting it for him. And uh, so Stockwell got real nervous and he went and started the damn airplane and they pulled the duffel bags out of the nose with all the tapes in them and threw them in the dirt. But I thought, well, that just about cleared the deal. Then the Cuban threw that fuel bladder out of the airplane so he could smoke. Now, God damn, I put the fuel bladder in there for a purpose, but they threw that out of there. They finished loading the plane And they took off, and Stockwell and I are sitting there in the dirt with two AK-47s pointed at us. And Stockwell says, we're screwed. So I told Roberto, I said, you're stupid. You're going to get caught. I said, you're taking off and going at the wrong time of day, and you're going to get caught. He said, well, I paid off the air traffic controller in Puerto Rico to switch off to uh, Miami Center. I said, I don't care. You're going to get caught. It's the wrong time of day. You're going to be a suspicious aircraft. They're going to come out and check you, and they're going to get your damn airplane, and they're going to get the load. I said, I told you, you need to spend the night. I said, you're stupid. Stockwell says, well, quit insulting me. He's going to kill us.
0: And obviously, by calling Roberto stupid, you kind of sort of managed to distract him away from the idea of searching the
2: bag, thank God. Yeah, I distracted him from that, and they have this macho thing of pride. They're not going to do it certain thing if you weenie around and cry and ball around and i say i've got a daughter i've got a wife i can't dial they don't respect that crap if you threaten them they respect that so you can't i wouldn't scared it anyway and i knew it was going to get caught so yeah i distracted you
1: and then stockwell and i are sitting on the ground they wait about 20 30 minutes and then they put us in a range rover or land rover and start down the road there's a little stand there, and they ask us said, do you want a beer? And I said, yeah, I want a beer. So we got out and had a beer, and I said, well, Stockwell, I don't know what you're going to do, but if I see, there were three guys with rifles sitting behind us. The majority of them were gone by then, so there was only three of them. I said, can you take one of those guys if I take the other two? I said, if they move the wrong way, I said, I'm not standing still and getting shot. So you tie one guy up while I do something with the other two. You draw his attention because I'm not going to sit here and get shot you know, like a moron. But they took us to a little uh, ranch house at Fundashan, Columbia, and stuck us in a room. I mean, the room wasn't even locked. We were guests, so to speak, at that time. But when we stopped for the beer, uh, Roberto got a phone call from somebody saying not to kill us, apparently.
0: Okay, but how long would it have taken them to get back?
1: How long is that flight? Depends on which way you go. I mean, it probably a seven-hour flight five to seven hours depending on where you go around the edge of cuba over cuban where you make the drop at you know to the west or to the east or farther up north right, but different. as far
0: as you knew the cubans were going back to nassau
1: no they were going to go to key west they had an I flight plan filed for key west
0: oh okay and that's a long time yeah yeah so you're 20 30 minutes into being captive you haven't had a chance to make a move yet. Now you're kind of a
1: guest at a ranch house that doesn't have any locks on the doors. Oh, well, there was plenty of guns around. There was not... You take off running on foot through the scrub brush, you weren't going to get very far with a bunch of natives that knew the area. And Stockwell couldn't do it anyway. He wasn't in good health. I told him, I said, you play the old man that doesn't feel good in you. I said, you keep your mouth shut. I said, they're looking for us to make a mistake. They're going to try and trick you with saying one thing and an hour later saying another and if it doesn't add up or you don't remember what you said or it doesn't make sense to them or it's not realistic you're going to dig us a hole so you just act like you don't feel good and you're sick you're getting sicker by the minute and you stay that way you're not going to see the navy seals come get our ass out of this so this is not you're not in a ready room planning our rescue at
0: and again time. we're staring at an era where there are no cell phones there's no. all you have is pagers so um i mean at what point you know within 24 hours verlin did you honestly believe um i'm done i'm never going to see the light of day again
1: oh well, they came back within 24 hours because the plane had got caught and they said uh, you were right you were right we got caught the airplane did this and did that and i said well i told you what was going to happen so now they look like fools again so then they by that time had not decided to kill us and i said you know I left phone numbers. He just said you have relatives in the state too in the states too. And I said, They go to school, you got families there and I said, My girlfriend has their phone numbers in their houses. And I said, I've got friends too. I said, All Americans don't ball when there's something that goes wrong. Some of us are mean. I said, I got Marine Corps buddies that cut off ears and take scalps and they don't have any trouble doing it to you if I don't show back up. And they didn't know quite how to take that. And of course they're for that time one of their aunts had called him and said this guy's girlfriend called us so they knew i had their phone numbers and knew i had their houses so they were backing off
0: so wait a second if you're referring to a girlfriend then obviously you're referring to
1: patricia talking to patricia
0: okay but wait Pat- patricia doesn't know that you're not here yet so so let's back up let's actually take a second and realize okay you're now down in furnish columbia in some ranch house these guys land a plane in Key West that you're supposed to be in. So when they, <laughs> sorry, it's kind of, it's not funny, obviously, but it's kind of funny. So they're landing a plane, and who's there meeting them?
1: The DEA with the helicopters.
0: Who's the guy that comes out to actually meet the plane when these guys? I mean, they're just expecting a six foot three white guy with blue eyes to get off a plane oh
1: no they're not because they helicopters and AWACS and everybody jumped jumped them before they ever got to key west and they dumped the stuff out the door they had at least four airplanes on them, government airplanes on them right away
0: so they just randomly dumped this stuff out the back of the oh, plane way it, up in the air oh yeah they just got rid of it okay so when they land who was meeting them at the plane
1: charlie andrews did uh fully sidekick
0: now the Cubans are getting out of the plane in Key West and a six foot six black guy is meeting them in the Key West. What would Charlie and those guys have done? Try and hold her
1: mouth from dropping open.
2: Charlie liked to have a heart attack. He had to think real quick on his feet so that the uh, Colombians people on the ground could wire call back to Colombia and tell her we were working for them government, or we'd have been screwed right there. So he had to play
1: it right. They didn't know what to do. Verlin <laughs> didn't get out of the airplane. And what do we do now? We, we can't seize this thing, or we, we wonder if they're dead already, or if we don't let these guys go, or are they going to kill them? But there was no drugs on the airplane, so they made a decision to let these guys go, because they didn't know what happened to us.
0: You know. So at this millisecond, it's everything's a
1: complete mystery. Yeah, it's a complete mystery.
0: The irony in this, Verlin, is at that moment, you were quite correct about needing to cover your ass with this Heflin meeting Patricia had set up. was literally, I think, supposed to happen the day after you wound up getting kidnapped, right? Maybe not
1: the day after, but within a couple days after.
0: And as far as you know, she and Senator Heflin were the only two people who knew about this. Yep, they were the
1: only two that knew about the meeting. And you're certain
0: that John Pulley or anybody else of the government in the DEA world or the crime, organized crime strike force didn't know about this, right?
1: Now, I'm not 100% sure, no. But I don't think they did. Well,
0: I'm no real conspiracy guy, but I'll always wonder if they knew. Okay, so you're kidnapped. To heck with a Heflin meeting, that went bye-bye. There are no cell phones, only pagers. So how the hell does Patricia find out you're kidnapped, man?
1: Once I got kidnapped, uh, Little Red in the Islands calls her and says, Hey, you know what happened?
0: So, of all the characters and people in this mess of a quagmire, the guy who maybe makes the most important call of your life was this goof, Little Red, on the island. Damn, that's funny, man. So, okay, what was the first move Patricia made?
1: Well, she called Pulley and told him she knew where I was. And... They well, said, who the hell are you, and I don't want to talk to you. And so she called him back and said, would you be interested in knowing where he is? And she told him, and from there on, why she kept a constant communication. So basically, she kept tabs on me the entire time that I was in captivity.
2: The next person she called would have been uh, Roberto and the Colombian's relatives. I had their phone numbers in Miami. So she called those people. And then she called Peterson uh, in Miami. So she had the two government agents and the Colombians. What would you you
0: say is the one thing Patricia would have said to one of the people that really changed their mind to keep you alive?
2: I think it's what I said. I told them, you think you're the only people on the earth that can be mean and ruthless. I said, I've got Marine Corps buddies that are just as ruthless. And uh, I said, bye girlfriend has the phone numbers all your people in miami and know where they live i said so something happens to me something happens to them and then of course then she called him and said i've got all your family's phone numbers so that woke him up i mean two people could play that game
0: when you find yourself now and you're 24 36 hours into being at this ranch and in fundashaw in, <laughs> in columbia did you actually think they would still kill you at that point, were you concerned for your life, or did you think that that whole line of bullshit you said to Roberto and Marines and skinning heads and families and stuff, did you think that worked?
1: Well, I thought it might. Apparently did. Had some influence on them. It wasn't very much later. I said, you've got to get your girlfriend off the phone. She's calling my family. So he knew, okay, this can work both ways. I said... Not every American is a bawling female because something happened. People get mad and get mean. That's what you people don't understand.
0: But Roberto was somebody that you would say would have been a direct contact, technically, to the Medellin cartel and to Pablo oh, he Escobar. he was a friend
1: of Escobar's. <laughs> he wasn't, wasn't a direct contact. He was a friend of Escobar's. As a matter of fact, they came out to the ranch one day. Being watched by
0: someone who works for Pablo Escobar. Wow. Yeah, man, you're once again in high cotton, as we'd say. It's just really dangerous cotton. So who's running the ranch?
1: And Raphael, he was the ranch foreman. He ran everything on the ranch, and he was proud of the ranch, and he was, knew that I farmed, and I was interested in agriculture, so he was showing me all over the place. And he's walk, walking me around and said I've got cocaine buried here, and I've got it buried so good the dogs can't find it. They walk right over here, and they won't find it he's telling me about his cattle we bought these brown swiss cattle from weatherford iowa <laughs> 400 head had brown swiss cattle from weatherford iowa he said the gringos think you know they don't have any trouble taking our money when we come to buy things in the states and they bought valley irrigation systems and he's showing me that he stayed at the main ranch house where we did uh, except for those few, few days back in the back when they had escobar and whoever else they had out there and one afternoon they were having an off-road rally and they decided to have a barbecue so these range rovers come up with bodyguards and people and the police chief from town and whoever else they had and the police chief he'd given a police chief my 45 to make him happy and the police chief looks at me and says hey gringo good show and uh so i'm sitting there with Raphael, and they decided that they were hungry so they just went out in the corral and shot a cow and barbecued it (laughs) and had to dance with raphael at raphael's place the ranch house he was managing for escobar uh
0: you're in captivity they could kill you at any second and they're having a barbecue with the local police chief and you
1: guys they even had a barbecue for us at the ranch or a barbecue they showed up with land rovers and armed bodyguards you know maybe five or six of them but they moved us to the sheep herder shack in the back when they had uh, escobar out there they didn't want us around him for three or four days and they brought us back to the ranch
0: so when escobar
1: came and they had a barbecue they hid you guys not initially it was after that they hid us i don't know who else they had out there when that was going on but they had somebody was there and uh, they stuck us out back for two or three days, and then brought us back to the main ranch house. All of a sudden, one day, they suddenly come to you and tell you that
0: they're moving you. Did you not think that maybe this was a
1: bad idea, like this was going to be the end of your life? Oh, I was always ready. I had always was dressed, always slept with one ear open. I was always ready for something. I mean, if I thought things were going to go to hell in a fashion, I was ready to do something. I was just wouldn't have taken a split second and i'd already figured out something i was going to do you know i wasn't going to sit there
0: so you know you have this barbecue and you're dealing with a guy who's friends with pablo escobar and you've at least managed to survive a week or so at this point um and you know that patricia is is probably trying to help but uh if she was able to get a hold of the wives of the cartel why didn't she just call
1: you well there wasn't any phone there just the ham radio it was the only thing we had. You had to get a patch, and you had to get every... It wasn't, wasn't an easy process. It's not an easy process to make a phone call there. At that particular time, if you wanted to make a phone call, it was hard to do. If you really wanted to get out of the country, you'd always ask for an AT&T operator, and you'd get somewhere faster. We didn't have any uh, phones like we have now. It was all two-meter radios, and maybe a couple phones hanging around, but not anything you could get to or get on and say, Hey, can I make a phone call? No. wasn't like that. Did she eventually find a way to get a hold of you? About twice, I think. She got a hold of me maybe two or three times and talked to her over the ham radio, and I think once we got off of the ranch and into Barranquilla, we talked to her on the phone. Why did you leave the ranch? They moved us from there to Barranquilla, Columbia, and I don't know why they moved us. Uh, where the hell did Roberto run off to? Well, Roberto was in charge of us after we were kidnapped. He disappeared. Once we got stuck at the ranch house, and he didn't show back up until they moved us from the ranch house to Barranquilla. Then he showed up two or three times, and his deal was, well, you guys lost the load, it's your fault, you lost the load, and you have to make it up, and we're gonna get a plane, and you fly the plane from Escobar's place by Barranquilla to a general in Mexico. Did Roberto ever threaten your life? No, only with a gun. He didn't up to say anything. I mean, he wasn't around all the time. He was he was there, and then he was gone, and then he was trying. He was on the line, too, for uh, the lost shipments because that was part of his deal. So he'd already lost a couple shipments worth millions of dollars, and he was trying to cover his ass and do whatever he could do. I mean, I didn't see him every day or anything like that. So while this is going on, I mean, all this is obviously simultaneous. It's crazy. Christy Marianne know nothing, correct? Oh, I, th- I think they knew they were notified that I was kidnapped. Yeah. And Christie said, well, they told me you were probably dead. And then she said, well, I thought, who are we talking about here? And she said, no, I didn't figure you were dead. I figured you'd do something to get yourself out of trouble.
0: Now what would make your daughter at 18 years old, it was 1988 at 18 years old, say that about her dad. How, how, why would she believe at that point you were so crafty that you would get out of it?
2: Well, I think because I crop dust and I get away with stuff and I did dangerous things You know, in that manner, and I never had a problem, always got out of it. So I guess the personality and the aptitude, she just figured I'd get out of it. That she didn't want to believe it anyway. She just didn't feel like I was dead, I guess.
0: Right. But does that mean that answer was more related to cross and jail and everything else? Or do you think it was more related to before you did all this and just being a crop duster? And I'm just kind of wondering if you told Christy stories when she was young about how close you came today to dying. You know, you talked about guys dying crop dusting. I'm just wondering if when she was a kid, before Carl London and all this crap, they used to tell her stories about how crazy crop dusting was.
2: Well, she had a hands-on example of that. One day, she was on the way to the airport with her mother, and the engine blew, and it hit the side of the... dropped into the plowed ground, hit the side of the hill, and I yanked it back up and gave it power, and it quit, and all the oil covered the front window, and so I had to open the left window to look out, and I cleared a set of phone wires, power lines, and landed under a big H, those big transfer lines uh, in a field. And so they came over there after that, and there's the airplane sitting there. She was there when that happened. I was praying for a friend of ours that we went over to their house and had parties with, and she associated with his daughter. So she saw the damn thing sitting there in the field, a big cloud of smoke in the sky and everything. So, you know. And I got out of that without
1: carrying anything up. So she said she wasn't worried about it. She said, yeah, who Who are we talking about here? And he gets out of everything. And
0: speaking of getting out of
1: things, it's kind of in part
0: because you knew how to work that shit, right? You had a couple of favorite guards, Ramon and O.C., you actually got to laugh with.
1: Ramon was kind of fun, and there was this other one called O.C. I gave him a baseball hat, and that made his day. He didn't have any teeth, but he had a baseball hat and a... 45 stuck in his crack of his butt. And he was our guard.
0: (laughs) Well, when you say stuff like that, Verlin, you know me, man. Give us a little description on these two gents guarding you.
1: I'll start with Ramon. He was the main bodyguard. He had been a captain in the Colombian military, and he had gotten out. He was about, you know, 5'8 and 180 pounds. He wasn't fat, wasn't big, just kind of average for that type of country. Rowellan started his day by smoking a joint and smoking a joint was about the size of your thumb six inches long rolled into a newspaper and he'd sit around and he you could look at his eyes he wasn't going to fool with you if you did something that he that he didn't like but he was fair and he says to me one morning he says oh man he says you pay for the hookers, and you pay for the booze, and we may fi- we may kill you. I feel bad about this. At that time, we had been moved from the main house for a couple of days back to a sheep herder shed in the back of the ranch because they had Escobar or some other dignitary at the ranch house. So Ramon says, I feel bad. He says, you're not eating right. You're only eating fried bananas and flies and drinking beer and Coca-Cola. He says, I will cook for you. So Stockwell and I are sitting in the front yard, and I said, You know, Glenn, I hadn't seen that damn rooster that runs around here all the time. And so I said, I have a bad feeling about this, and I smell smoke. Let's see what Ramon is doing in the back. We went back, and he'd killed that rooster, but he neglected to gut it or pull the feathers off, and he was cooking that rooster for us. And he (laughs) was. Head feathers, guts, and all, up, up and <laughs> down at the pan, and then uh, he'd take take us into town to buy beer and a couple other things, and and bring us back and moved us back to the main shack, and he guarded us all the time. Guard, he was there every day, and guarded us all the time, and his that was his main function.
0: Well, and with all blessing and respect to you and Stockwell, Verlin, he wasn't very good at his function, nor really Roberto, because. Stockwell foolishly had them remove your duffel bag from the nose of the plane. You had it in this entire freaking time with your death sentence sitting inside of it, right?
1: Oh, yeah, my duffel bag. They didn't get into it, and they brought it into our room. And I said, you know what's in that duffel bag? I said, what in the hell did you tell them to get it out of the airplane for? I said, we got to get rid of that shit. So another guy called O.C., he was really funny. He didn't have any front teeth, didn't wear a shirt. He kept it out. 357 pistol stuck in the back of the crack of his ass all day long and he was happy <laughs> as hell because i'd given him a baseball cap oc took us up a trail a little ways i said we need to get in a bath or take a shower or something he said there's a pond right up here and i told sock i said i'm gonna take those in a sock and i'm gonna sink them so we went up to the pond and put a couple of rocks in a sock with the cards and the tapes and threw him out in the middle of the pond when he wasn't looking that was all
0: your evidence
1: that was my death sentence they caught it no i had more tapes oh that wasn't the whole lot no that was just five or six of them you were just getting rid of the death pills yeah we got out in the water and oh see i thought well i'll get him out here maybe we'll drown him and uh, so we're out he's just standing ankle deep in water giving him washing off with a gourd and soap and i said what's the matter why don't you get out here in the water i said why don't you come out here and watch can't you swim he said no man Caymans, man and there were caimans big alligators in the water yeah so two old boys got out of that water in a hurry you know if the natives don't do it there's a reason they're not do it you did not do it either
0: yeah a little bath shower versus i don't know getting eaten
1: by an alligator once again, simple choices, right? Simple choices, and they weren't going to go after those tapes if they knew I threw them in there.
0: And that concludes yet another tremendous DocuPodcast episode for Shadow of a Mercenary, the life story of one Verlin Steve keys I'm your host, Kevin E. West. Please, subscribe, share it with friends, and until next time, stay safe and smart.